Our dear, kind Heavenly Father, I want to say thank you so much for each one that is here. And Lord, we're discovering an important topic. And Lord, we just need you to send the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom and guidance. We love you so much. In your precious name, amen. The year was 1573. It was October 5th. And as Mrs. Wines was in her house doing her daily duties, all of a sudden there came a knock on the door. And as she opened the door, the authorities came in and they took her and dragged her down to the prison. They beat her up to within an inch of her life. And if that wasn't enough, they took and put a tongue screw on her. Now I got a picture of that. And here it is. Her son came back later, and amongst her ashes, the only thing that was left was this metal tongue screw. And what they would do is they would actually put your tongue in between those two pieces of metal, and then they would screw it and clamp it shut, and then they would take and burn the tip of your tongue so that it would swell, so that it wouldn't come off. Henceforth, they didn't want you to talk. And if that wasn't enough, they took her and dragged her down the street, tied her up to a stake, and burned her. So she became ashes. What was her crime? She was sharing the Bible with her neighbors. You see, Mrs. Wines was, a, was an Anabaptist, and she was sharing the Bible. But you see, in the year 1573, the Bible was not to be shared. Because Mother Rome didn't want anybody following the Bible, she wanted people following her. Now that's the way things were during the Dark Ages. And what I want us to see and keep in mind is that the Bible predicts that there is a time coming again when this type of persecution will happen again. So I ask the question, where or does the United States fit in Bible prophecy. Have you ever thought about it? Well, today we want to discover just what that is. Because I believe the Bible teaches us what happens. Let's go to Revelation chapter, chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13, and I want to do a quick review of what we went through yesterday. What was our topic yesterday? Oh, I was going to say, please don't tell me you forgot already. <laughs> yeah, we discovered the mark of the beast yesterday, and I'd like to take and read down through Revelation 13, 1 through 10, and I'm going to read it very quickly. Notice what it says. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power, his seat, and his great authority. I saw one of his heads as it was wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world, what? Wandered. wandered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon which gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And once again, i got to stop there for a moment, because as we discovered, the whole issue in Revelation is worship, isn't it? Yes. So people that say it doesn't matter when I worship, or how I worship, or where I worship, are wrong. 
The Bible is very clear. The whole battle in the last day is over worship. And God is very specific as to how you worship Him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Notice we continue on. And it was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world if any man have an ear, let him hear. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that kills with a sword must be killed with a sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the what? Saints. Now, just quickly looking at those identified characteristics of the beast. It rises out of the sea. It requires worship. It speaks blasphemy. It rules for 42 months. How long is 42 months? 1260 days or prophetic day is equal to a? Literal years, so we're talking about 1260 years. Persecutes the saints. 666 is the number of a Subway sandwich. It's a number of a man, that's right. Leads into captivity. Is the authority from pagan Rome, which the dragon orchestrated, and then has a deadly wound that is healed. We discovered there's only one power in history that actually fits that. And that's who? The papal Roman power, the Roman Catholic Church. Now, once again, I've got to say this, and that is God loves Catholic people. God, this is not about people. This is about a system of worship that has chosen to go its own course and walk its own way and teach its own doctrine. Amen? Amen. So, listen, God loves Catholic people just like He loves all people. When Jesus died, He died for Catholics just as much as He died for Adventist or Baptist or Pentecostal or Methodist or anybody else. Amen? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So we've been brought through a timeline. You remember Daniel chapter 7 when we went through there? Daniel chapter 7 showed us there was a lion, which was who? Babylon. They ruled from 605 to 538. Then you have the next is a bear, and the bear is who? Meda Persia. And they ruled from 538 to 331 B.C. And then you had the leopard, with four heads and four wings. And that represents Greece. And Greece ruled from 331 to 168 B.C. Then you have this nondescript, weird-looking beast. Now you can see why it is that Daniel couldn't even describe it. Because it didn't look like anything else. But it has ten horns. Who is that? That was Rome. The pagan Roman or imperial Roman Empire. They ruled from 168 B.C. all the way down through to 476 A.D. Rome divided off into ten kingdoms represented by the ten horns. And so then you have them ruling from 476 up to when? What's the next thing to rise? Remember Daniel 7? A little horn. That's right. Now we know from the description of the little horn that it's the same as the beast power of the first beast of Revelation 13, and that's the papacy or Roman Catholic Church. So after the rise of the little horn power, now you see that, that the, the horns rule from 476 down through to 538. The third horn is uprooted, and now the papacy is in charge. They run, and they run for how long? 1260 years, that's right, thank you. 1260 years, so they go from 538 to 1798, yes. We showed the name of the three countries that were displaced when the little horn came in. Mm-hmm. What, to the best geographical and 
Well, I do, but to see it, you'd really have to see it on a map, and I don't have a map on me in this presentation. But uh, see me afterwards; I can get you one. Yeah. Well, the vandals were up over more where Spain was. Um, I'd be better off showing you a map. <laughs> so, okay, very good. So then after 1798, Daniel 7 depicts another event that's going to take place. What's that? Well, Daniel chapter 7 doesn't depict the United States. Yeah, well, we're, we're, we're in Revelation, but we're talking about Daniel 7 because I want, to, want you to draw the comparison. Um, Daniel chapter 7, after, after the little horn comes judgment. In fact, it's interesting, three times in the book of Daniel 7, Daniel chapter 7, the Bible shows the papacy, then judgment. The papacy, then judgment. The papacy, and then judgment. If God repeats that three times, do you think it's important that you understand the sequence? I would think that that's true. And so, then after you have the judgment, of course, you have the seven last plagues, and then you have the second coming of Jesus. Now, in here, we began to see the fact that, that the first beast gives us the description of the papal Roman power. We know, as we just discussed, the papal Roman power was taken out of political power in 1798. But that deadly wound was healed, wasn't it? When was it healed? 1929, that's right. Very good. When Mussolini and Gaspari signed a document that actually gave the Vatican that 100-acre parcel to them as an independent country. They are their own government. And so you begin to see that's why it is that they, they have diplomats, their priests are all, all have diplomatic immunity because they represent the Vatican. What is that? What's that? Oh, yeah, well, I don't remember the name of the actual pact. They signed a treaty is what they did. Um, and that, that pact actually gave them that land to own and to operate as an independent government. So Italy separated that and then separated the Vatican City, or Holy See as some call it, and they became their own government. And that made all parties happy. So... Now, notice as we've looked at that, we've come now to the year 1798, the downfall when General Berthier comes and he, he takes uh, Pope Pius VI captive and he's taken into exile. He ends up dying in exile. The Catholic Church did not stop. It continued to operate, but no longer did it have the political power until once again it was restored and they became their own government in 1929. But now I want to go further because as we look at the screen... Your mainstream Protestant preachers, Martin Luther of the Lutherans, Cotton Mather of the Congregational, Thomas Craner of the Anglican, Roger Williams of the Baptist, John Calvin of the Presbyterian, John Knox of the Scottish Presbyterian, and John Wesley of the Methodist. A lot of your mainstream Protestant preachers all believe that the papacy was the little horn power of Daniel 7. And once again, as we talked about our very first day here with the secret rapture, the whole idea of the rising of this theory of the secret rapture was to dispel the focus from the little horn being the papacy. They wanted to move it away. 
so that people would not look at them as an antichrist power, but that they got their authority from God. So here it is, once again, you began to see their belief during the Protestant Reformation, during the Dark Ages, during all of that time, their belief was that the papal Roman power was the Antichrist or Little Horn. The United States Constitution guarantees both civil and religious freedom to all of its citizens. Will these historic freedoms ever be challenged? You think? Does the Bible mention the United States in prophecy? Where? That's not the little horn. Little horn's papacy. Okay, Revelation 13. Okay, that's got uh, how many verses? 18 verses. Okay, verse 11 it starts with, huh? Okay. Uh, let's, let's start there for a moment. Verse 11. And I beheld another beast. A beast represents a what? A kingdom or a nation. That's right. And I beheld another beast rise up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb. Now, who's that? How do you know? I mean, I didn't read in there that it says, and I beheld the United States of America coming up out of the earth. Okay, okay, let's... Okay. Number one, and those are good conclusions. Number one is the first beast came up out of the sea, right? Sea represents a multitude of people. Where do we find that? That's true in Revelation. Chapter 17, verse 15. Write it down. Revelation 17, verse 15. So here, the second beast... Notice, let me back up, because a multitude of people in John's time were where? Around the Mediterranean, that's right. But now it says there's another beast or a nation that arises up out of the earth. Well, what would the earth be? I mean, the opposite of water, right? So dry land, if if waters represents a, a multitude of people, what would dry land represent? Okay. I wouldn't say nobody necessarily, but very sparsely populated area probably would fit. And so when you begin to look at this, okay, there's a country that is rising out of the earth, and it has two horns like a what? Like a lamb. What do you think of when you think of a lamb? You think of Jesus. I like that. Yeah, you think of something mild-mannered. Yeah, nice. Notice it didn't say a sheep. No violence. It said a lamb. So innocent. Youth. Hang on. Don't catch this. Youth. Okay. Energetic. Young. Absolutely. So what you begin to see is a country that is coming up that takes and is youthful, young, energetic. Notice it has two horns, but neither one of those horns have crowns. So there's no kingly authority there. Wow, you began to look at that. You know, Nancy and I, when we used to, in in another district we pastored, we would take and we would drive past a farm that every spring had baby lambs. And there was always two or three of them out there playing, and at times we would stop. And we'd just sit by the road and watch them play, wouldn't we? And it was fun because they didn't have a care in the world. They just went around and played with each other, and they romped and they played. And so when I I read this, this text, I'm saying, wow, two horns 
like a lamb? So here it is. This country is young. It's youthful. Also remember, it is a lamb. It's not a lion. It's not a bear. It's not a leopard. It's not a ravishness beast, right? So in other words, a lamb, what, what, what harm can it do? Amen? See, it's not like it went forward and conquered land, right? Like the bear and the leopard and, you know, they all took over by conquering. The Bible does, that's right, but the Bible doesn't depict that this beast is doing that. It depicts that this beast is actually taking and growing up from youthhood, right? But then notice, as you begin to look at this, you say, who is this beast? Who do you think it is? How do you say it could only fit? We've read two lines. How can you say that it only fits the United States? Okay. What's that? Okay, let's let's take in in and go through. I think that once again, many times we've heard this and we've thought about this, but if you're going to explain this, to just simply take this verse and say this is the United States, who's going to buy that? I can only come from my experience, and I tell you, I wouldn't buy it. Okay, I'm just telling the truth. If you just read me that verse, say, oh, let me tell you who that is. That's the United States. I'd say, yeah, and where? Where do you get that? I want to show you where you get that, okay? Because I think it's important for us to understand exactly what the Bible is depicting, but we can't just take this verse to be able to empower that. So what we want to do is we want to take and take a look at... Go back with me to chapter 12 for a moment. Chapter 12 for a moment. I want to start with verse 1. Chapter 12. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of what? Twelve stars. Now, here's a woman... You could compare that with Revelation 17 and see an apostate woman that is clothed in purple and scarlet and in gold and all of that stuff. But here you have a picture of God's true church. She's clothed with the sun, standing upon the moon, a crown of 12 stars upon her head. Now let me ask you a question. There's some seats over here. What do you think the sun represents here? Well, okay, Christ. How would we depict that? Okay, His righteousness. Okay. Okay. Here's what you got to stop and think. And that is that, I know I've heard, I've heard some even Adventist scholars that have said the sun and the moon represent the Old and New Testament. Where do I find that? How could I prove that through Scripture? See, once again, listen, when you give an answer for your faith, you need to be able to give you an answer for your faith from a thus saith the Lord. Okay, so I'm okay with that. We were at, at that point at the transition between Old and New Testament. I get that. But once again, how do I prove that? But I want you to stop and think about something for a minute. What does Psalms 119.105 say? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light into my path. 
Now, I'm, I'm good with the fact that the church is clothed with his righteousness. Praise God for that. But what I want to really share with you, I believe that God's church is endowed with the truth of God's word. Psalms 119, 105. So what you find is God's church walks. In fact, you can find it in another place. I'd have to look it up. But it says, Paul says, that the church is the pillar and ground of truth. So God's church is the one that is going to be raised to share the gospel, the word of God to the, to the world. So then you have this woman standing upon the moon. What does the moon do? Reflects what? You see, the, the moon, I, I loved it when, when Brother Boris said the other night, the moon in itself has no light. What does it do? It reflects the light of the sun to the earth. Well, what do you have that reflects the light of God's word to his church? The spirit of prophecy. That's absolutely right. Now, the interesting thing to me about this is the fact that the chapter opens with God's church, his faithful people having the word of God and the gift of prophecy. I'm going to show you that in just a minute. But this woman has a garland or a crown of 12 stars. I mentioned to you the other day that there's two words in the Greek that they use for crown in the English translation. One is a diadem, which is a kingly crown, and one is a stephanos, which is a victor's crown. Guess which crown this one is? This is a stephanos or a victor's crown. So God's church is victorious, Amen. They gained a victory over sin. They gained a victory over self. They gained a victory over this world. And they give themselves to Jesus, and they love not their lives even unto the death. Amen? Now, jump with me to 17 for just a moment. Verse 17. And then I want to come back and I want to, I want to share something with you. Verse 17. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the what? Testimony of Jesus Christ. So once again, you see Revelation chapter 12 focused on his true church. You find the issue is that they were booked in, bookend by God's people followed the word of God and the gift of prophecy. Amen. Now, I'll tell you what, there's a lot of challenge today. People throwing out the gift of prophecy, but I want you to understand something very clear. And that is that if you throw away the gift of prophecy, you eventually will throw away the word of God. Because it's the same Holy Spirit that inspired the gift of prophecy. Amen? The Holy Spirit is the one that inspired Moses. Inspired Ezekiel. Inspired Daniel. Inspired Matthew. Inspired Mark. Inspired Luke and John and, and Paul and, and John and, and Revelation and all of that stuff. Over, over 40 writers, over the period of 1,500 years, you find that the Holy Spirit gave them the wisdom of heaven. Can you trust the Bible? Absolutely. It's in harmony from Genesis to Revelation. It's because it's the same Holy Spirit that inspired them. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, come back with me. And let's take a look. I want to quickly read down through chapter 12. And she, talking about the woman that was clothed with the sun, standing on the moon, she being with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. 
And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she hath a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and what? Three score days or sixty days. Well, we learned about twelve hundred and sixty days. How we that's how we where we applied that. Daniel chapter 7, we saw it again in Revelation chapter 13, the little horn or papacy power. They ruled for 1260 days or literal years. So catch the connection here. Who's this woman? The, okay, God's church. That's right, God's church. Now notice something. This church is ready to have a child that was going to be born and was going to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Who would that be? Jesus, that's right. And did the devil have someone there to try and destroy that baby when it was born? Yes. Sure. You remember what Herod did? Yes. Absolutely. So then you begin to see that here it is. It says, in fact, the life of Christ is all wrapped up into one verse, verse 5. And she brought forth a man child who is to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. The focus of chapter 12 is not the life of Christ. And so here you begin to see, then it says, and the church or the woman was led into the wilderness where she hath the place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and three score days. So here you have a picture of God's church that leads you down the timeline to where? Through the 1260 years. So that'd bring you to what date? 1798. Very good. So this brings us down to 1798. At this point in time, John must have been going, whoa. Yeah. Because God puts like a pause button. You have a DVD player at home? Yeah. And you push pause and it freezes a frame? Yeah. When we're editing video, you know, it's sometimes we catch people in kind of weird positions because you pause it. Right. And, and here it is. God like pauses this whole situation in order for, for, for John to understand, let me just quickly read that. Verse 7, And there was war in heaven, and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, the old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame Him by, by the, blood. the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Listen to me. The way to be saved is to share your faith. Amen? Amen? Amen. Don't think you can hide your lamp and be saved. The saved share their faith. The Bible says they overcame by the blood of the Lamb, which is Jesus' blood. Praise the Lord for Calvary. Amen. Amen. And by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. death. That's absolutely right. Now, stop for just a moment. John gets a pause button put on. He now gets shown the war that took place in heaven. Why there's this battle that the dragon wants to destroy this child. And so now it is, he begins to see this great controversy battle that is coming. And then it says in verse 10, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ. When did that take place? Say that again. 
Okay, verse 10 says, verse 10 says, Now is come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ. When was that? That was the cross. Our salvation was not sealed until He paid the price. But now He could claim salvation for everyone that will accept it. Amen? Praise God for that. Now we continue to move on. Verse 12. Therefore rejoice ye heavens and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil has come down unto you having great what? Wrath. Wrath. Because he knoweth he hath but a what? Short time. time. Now catch, God kind of puts the play button back on. And when the dragon saw that he was cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness into her place where she is nourished for a time and times and a half a time from the face of the serpent. Now, what time period is that? It's the 1260 days or literal years. In other words, talking about the same time in which the papacy was in rule from 538 to 1798. Did the church persecute people? Absolutely. So you have major persecution. I read you a slide yesterday that showed the most conservative number I found was 50 million people that died during the Dark Ages. Well, go back and add up how many died in World War I and in World War II, and in Korean War. Start adding them up and stop and think about how many that was in comparison to those that died during the Dark Ages for their faith. So you begin to look here and see that it brings us down to that same timeline that we, we came to in verse 6. Do you see that? If you do, say amen. 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 Verse 6 said that she flies into the wilderness and that they should feed her there for 1,203 score days, Right? Well, now we have a time, times, and a dividing of times, or half a time. Same time period, okay? So in other words, God brings us down through to 1798, but notice what happens next. Verse 15. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the woman. And uh, the flood, excuse me. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. Now stop and think for a minute. John gets this picture. The woman is running. And all of a sudden the devil puts water out of his mouth. And this big flood of water comes and wants to pick up the woman and take her away. And all of a sudden the earth opens up and swallows the flood of water. Is that what literally happened? Okay, remember, we're talking about symbolism, right? What do waters represent? Multitudes of people. The devil uses the papal system to send multitudes of people to stamp out Christianity. Okay? But then notice, it says that the earth helped the woman. Now, the the woman is who? His church. So, what... Help the woman. I mean, obviously, the earth is a what? Sparsely populated area of the earth. During the time, especially towards the end of 1798, what area of the earth was opening up that it might save people from the persecution of the Pope? There's only one, my dear friends. The United States of America. 
Now, when I first studied this, I looked at this and said, wait a minute, that doesn't fit. I mean, I know the pilgrims came across in the 1600s. I mean, that was way before 1798. But when you begin to study it out and take a look at what's happening here, the Bible is depicting the rise of a country that would open up and protect His church, protect the truth, protect His people, so that the truth could continue to live and go on. Amen? Amen. There's only one country that fits that. Now notice in verse 17 then, And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now when you come back to Revelation 13 and verse 11, we've passed the time of the papacy, right? The first beast. We've come to the end of their rule, which would bring us to when? 1798, that's right. See, I'm, I'm, I keep asking that question because I want you to keep the time zone in your mind. Yeah. And so now we have the rise of another nation. A nation that is innocent. A nation that did not conquer another nation on its rise. A nation that has two horns but has no crowns. What would that depict? You see, pa- horns denote powers or kingdoms. In this case, here you have a nation that has power, but no kingly authority. So this nation is not governed by a dictatorship. It's ruled by by the power of the people. Well, what country is that? What was this country formulated on? Religious and political freedom. That's absolutely right. That set us apart from every other country in the world. Praise God for that. Amen. I don't know about you, but I thank God I'm an American today. Amen. Amen. Now, that's nothing against any other country. I'm just simply saying I've taken for granted the freedoms that I have. But, but, then, but then notice this. So there's no doubt that this first beast has to be, or the second beast here of Revelation 13, has to be the United States of America. Now, notice as we continue though, The Bible says, though it has two horns like a lamb, and it spake as a dragon. dragon. Who's the dragon? Satan. 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 You might say, well, pastor, you're nuts. What do you mean? We've got religious freedom. We can preach whatever we want. We can do what we want, share what we want. That's going away, brothers and sisters, very very quickly. But I want you to understand something very clearly, and that is that how does any nation speak? Through its laws. Now, if you notice, we just went through a campaign here for presidency last year. And we saw them get up and promise all kinds of things that they would do. The reality is, is how much of that do they get done? See, the reality is, is that they can promise whatever they want, but until there's a law that is signed and sealed... You don't have to follow it. Amen? So you begin to look at this and realize that the only way that a country really speaks is through its laws. So keep that in mind as we go through. At some point in time, the laws of this wonderful, blessed country that we have is going to speak according to the dragon. A country that says, in God we trust. Amen? Amen. Now, come with me to the screen for just a moment. A new nation that rises. 
Notice the rise of the United States. In the 1600s of Pilgrim's Land. I'm showing you this graph because for me, when I first studied this out, I said, no, it couldn't be the United States because the Pilgrims came across in the 1600s, not in 1798. But notice what happens. Early 1600s, the Pilgrims landed. 1776, the Declaration of Independence is drawn up. In 1787, the Constitution is ratified. Now stop and think, were these things important in order to have an established government? Absolutely. In 1789, the Bill of Rights was formulated. In 1791, the Bill of Rights was adopted. Are you seeing we're drawing closer and closer to the date? 1798, Pope Pius VI is taken captive by France. France recognizes the United States as a nation in the world. Now that's amazing because the, the French were the major player in the world in that day. And so now they recognize the United States as an independent country, not on the shirt tails of England, but as an independent country that has risen up, has established itself, and is now an independent country. Well, wow, all of a sudden that begins to take place because here at the ending of the taking down of the papacy in 1798, you have the next power on the scene that rises to become a superpower. Amen? And that's the United States in prophecy here that we see. Two horns like a lamb. There are no crowns on the horns of the second beast. The first beast had crowns, which indicated what? Amen. Kingly authority. The second one has no crowns on its head. The absence of crown indicates freedoms. Horns are a symbol of power. They indicate that this beast derives its power from political and religious freedom. So it's a lamb-like beast that is arising around 1798, arising in a relatively unpopulated area of the world, has no crowns on its horns. Notice this in the new world compared to the old. The mystery of her coming forth from vacancy, like a silent seed we grew into a what? Empire. Empire. It was interesting, it was not long ago that the leader of the Russian country said that he would have to agree that the United States was the only last superpower. Now it's amazing because the United States grew from nothing into the superpower in the world today. Now i got to tell you, just because we became a superpower, I used to think that nobody would ever mess with the United States. Until September 11, 2001. That all changed for me. Let me tell you something. Nobody's exempt. Amen? Daniel and Revelation by Uriah Smith emerging amidst the silence of the earth, adding daily to its power and its strength. So no crowns, and it would be a young nation. It would rise to a position of worldwide power and influence. What is the only nation that fits this description? It has to be the United States of America. That's absolutely right. So does the Bible predict the nation we love so well? Absolutely, and we're seeing it right here today. Now, I'll tell you what, praise the Lord that we have been granted freedom to worship God according to the dictates of our conscience. And I always tell people, why don't you take advantage of it? Stop riding the fence. Stop playing church. Get active. Now, that'll get the devil active after you, but let me tell you something. I would rather have the devil mad at me than the God of heaven mad at me. Amen? 
I want to finish this work because I want Jesus to come and I want to go to that world that knows no death and knows no sorrow and there's no more backaches and whining and complaining and all of that is gone. Amen? Amen. How does any nation speak? We just discovered it. By its laws. That's absolutely right. So we need to understand that at some point in time, this nation that we love is going to establish laws. Why do I say laws? Because how does any nation speak? Through the laws. Then at some point in time, the nation is going to establish laws that are going to speak as a dragon, right? In accordance with the devil and his plan and his theology and his deceptions. Notice we continue on. Revelation 13 in verse 12. The Bible says, and he, who's he? No. The second beast. Who's the second beast? The United States. That's absolutely right. And he exercises... Because remember, if you back up, it says, And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. He spake as a dragon. He wasn't the dragon. He spake as a dragon. And now it was, and he, talking about the beast, right? Or the United States exercised all the power of the first... Who is the first beast? Papal Rome. All the power of the first beast before him and caused the earth and them that dwell therein to what? Worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. So at some point in time, God is going to allow there to be laws that are legislated by the country we love so much and it is going to exercise the power that the first beast had. What was its power? Uh, it was uh, civil and religious. Okay, church and state united. That's absolutely right. right. In other words, when you have church and state united, you have the ability to use legislature to enforce your religious mandates. And so here it is, during, during the time of, of Papal Rome, they used the army, they used the government, they used legislation in order to keep things tight within the Catholic Church. And if you opposed that, if you taught differently than that, you were persecuted or put to death. Yeah. So, you know, it's amazing. And it wasn't just the civil authorities. It was also the church, the monks, and those people that went out to help fight that war. Now, you begin to look, and the Bible says, at some point in time, the United States... Are you with me? Have I lost you? No. United States is going to legislate laws that are going to speak as a dragon, and he's going to cause the earth to worship who? The beast. Okay, what beast? The first beast. Who's that? Papal Rome. How do you... You say, well, you know, I would never become Catholic. But let me ask you a question. Do you have to become Catholic? How do you worship the first beast? By following their religious doctrines. Now listen to me very carefully. That's more than Sunday worship. And I'm not going to go into it because I need the whole time. But I'm telling you today there's issues in the Adventist church that we are following papal doctrine instead of Adventist doctrine or Bible doctrine. I'll let you depict what that is because I don't have time to get into it. But I'll tell you what, this is just one way. And that's in the issue of Sunday worship. They said, this is our mark of authority. When we choose Sunday worship, whether we go to any other church, 
We can choose to go to Sunday worship, but God did not establish Sunday as a day for worship for Him. Amen? So you have the two counterparts. You have Jesus in asking you to keep the Sabbath, and you have the dragon or the devil that is asking you to keep Sunday because He wants to exalt His throne above the stars of God. Amen? So now you begin to see this country we love so much. And after all, stop and think about it. What other country is there in the world that could establish something that would have influence in the whole world? I mean, when Africa does something, does that affect you and me? No. no. But I'll tell you what, what takes place in the United States trickles out over all the world. So you begin to look, and here it is, that it says that they cause all to worship the full beast, or first beast. Now I want you to say, or I want to say this one more time, and that is that God is not against Catholic people, but He's against a system of worship that walks away from Him, just like He's not for you walking away from His truth. Amen? And so here you begin to see that the, this whole issue, and, and something else, and that is you'll find people that will say, ah, oh, it doesn't really matter when I go to church. Doesn't really matter when I worship. Doesn't matter which day you keep. Well, according to who? That's my, my question. According to who? You see, because my God tells me very clearly He's established the Sabbath that is a sign that I recognize Him as my God. Amen? And so you began to look at this and it says that the, this wonderful country is going to cause them to worship the first beast whose deadly wound is healed. Doesn't end there. Look at verse 13. And he, who's he? The United States. That's right. He doth great wonders so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the, on the earth in the sight of men. Where do you recall a story about fire coming from heaven? Story of Elijah. What was the issue in the story of Elijah? It was all worship. Choose ye this day whom you're going to serve. It's all about repenting and coming back and following God in the true form of worship that He has. And in that story, they had the prophets of Baal, 450 strong, and they put up two altars, the, the, the prophets of Baal and Elijah. Same wood on either altar. Same, they had two bullocks, one for, that Elijah used, one that the prophets of Baal used. So, I mean, basically everything was the same. But the, the, the whole test was, whichever God answered by fire, that's the God that was going to be the true God. Now, we know the story, hopefully, and that is the fact that, that God answered Elijah's prayer. Fire came down, and it burned up not only the sacrifice, but the wood and the water and the rocks in the dust. It's quite a fire. So you began to look at it, and do you find another place in the Bible that talks about a fire? Burning bush, that's true. I'm thinking about Pentecost. Cloven tongues of fire, because fire is another symbol of the Holy Spirit. So you began to look, and here it is, that this nation is going to show you its Christianity through fire. What kind of fire? Not literal, necessarily. Now, we don't know what all it's going to do, but we can know one thing, and that is the charismatic movement has been a huge movement. Amen? And what's it all based on? It's all based on feelings, and it's all based on the fact that the Holy Spirit is the one governing your life. Now, I have no problem with the Holy Spirit governing my life, but the Bible tells me that I'm not to speak of the Holy Spirit 
I'm not to pray to the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is there to guide me, to convict me, to help lead me to Jesus. Amen? So when my focus is on the Holy Spirit, I've got the wrong focus. We're to let the Holy Spirit use us, not us use the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, so we see, we see revivals of all kind, but I'll tell you what, many of them are false. But you know something, as we said yesterday, and that is that for every true, there's a counterfeit. But that also tells you for every counterfeit, there's a, there's a true. Very good. Notice verse 14. And deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast. Okay, what beast is it talking about? No. The first beast, Papal Rome. Saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast. To what beast? The first beast, which is Papal Rome, which had the wound by a sword and did live. So obviously we know for sure what beast it's talking about. Now stop and think for just a moment. What is an image? A likeness. Okay. When I get up in the morning and I look into the mirror, as scary as it is, what do I see? I see, I see myself. But is it me? It's a reflection of me. It's an image of me. And so here it is, the Bible depicts that this country that we love at some point in time is going to legislate law that is going to have to do with worship to the first beast and is going to make an image of the beast or a likeness to the beast. It's going to have its kind of power, a reflection of what happened in days of old. Well, once again, what would have to happen for that to happen? Okay, laws established, that's true. You have to have the joining of church and state. Now, that's one of the principles this, this country was, was founded on, wasn't it? Yes. Is the separation of church and state. But the Bible depicts a time when the church and state will come together. And it will be all focused towards what? Towards worship, you're right, but towards who? The first beat, which is who? Papal Rome. Now, I want you to stop and think about something for a moment. I want to see if you caught it. If we're to make a likeness to the first beast, if we're to make an image of the first beast, if we are to worship the first beast, then who is it that is actually joining hands with church and state to make that reflection? It's not Catholicism. Because Catholicism is what they're mimicking. Right? Are you with me? So the only other Christian party it could be would be Protestantism. And so Protestant America joins hand with the government and now you have legislation adjoining of church and state that now enforces religious mandate and worship on Sunday in honor of who? The papacy. What a shame it's not in honor of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. So you began to look at this whole idea and see that the fact that the dragon is pushing the United States to enforce laws that will honor Him. Now notice we continue. In verse 15, And He had power to give life. Who's He? The, no. The second beast. 
Remember, this is all focused on what the second beast, the United States, is going to do. Okay, you with me? Yeah. Okay. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast. Well, of course he did. Because he is able to, to legislate law. Yeah. He is able to bring it together. He is able because he is one of the last great superpowers of this world. His influence will influence the world. And they reached the hands across the abyss to touch hands with Rome. Now you might say, oh, pastor, that's not possible. You haven't been watching the news. Notice we continue on. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause. Once again, how do you speak a nation? Through its laws. That they should both speak and cause it as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be what? Killed. Killed. Don't tell me that we're not going to come to the time that there's going to be persecution in the church and in persecution of God's people, even to the point of death. The Bible says this wonderful country we love is going to force us to worship in the, in the dictates of the papal Roman power to honor them. And if we don't, we will be Persecuted. killed. That's what the Bible says. Don't be mad at me. The Bible says that they should be killed. Notice verse 16. And he caused all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their forehead, that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark of the mark or the name of the beast or the number of the name of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the man. For count the number of a, for it is a number of a man, and his number is six hundred three score and six. Now I want you to stop and think here for a minute. Because the Bible is saying very clearly that this country that we love at some point in time is going to legislate worship that is going to reach hands across to Rome. Now I'll tell you what, I've appreciated the freedoms I've had, but the Bible tells me, and I believe the Bible is true, that at some point in time that freedom we have and enjoy is going to be gone. Now listen, as our conference lifts up BibleStudyOffer.com, as our, as our conference lifts up Unlock Revelation, as our conference is encouraging the churches to go out and witness and share and do evangelism and do Bible studies, it's because we know there's a time coming that we are not going to be able to openly and freely do what we're doing right now. Let's get the work finished while we can. Amen? Amen? So you begin to look at all of this and then ask yourself the question, could that really be true? Now I'll tell you what, I believe it because the Bible says it. Amen? That's all I need. But I want to bring you to the screen for just a moment. Does the Bible give in any indication of the end time events in light of this union? Well, spiritual decline, natural disasters, social chaos, economic difficulties lead up to the ch church and state union. Let me ask you a question. Do any of those fit us today? Yes. Absolutely. They all fit us today. Yes. Satan takes advantage of this situation by introducing a false what? Spiritual revival. I tell you what, any revival that does not lead you to reformation is false. Amen. You hear me? You see, lots of people get revived. Lots of people get excited. Lots of people have feelings. But if true revival comes, then true reformation comes because you can't separate them. Amen. Now, you have lots of false revivals going on, but the Bible is very clear 
that true revival will bring reformation. So what is the image of the beast? Well, it's a likeness of church and state will unite to enforce religious practices. Is that what we just read? Yes. Absolutely. How can you tell the difference between true and false revival? <laughs> That's right. Love always leads to obedience. Listen, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. So listen, we know that God is calling us to do obedience out of love. The evidence is not in what they claim to do in His name. Evidence, the evidence is in obedient life. Isaiah 8.20 says, To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it's because there's not much light in it. <laughs> That's right, don't let me get away with that. But I want you to stop and think of that implication. How many people are reading books by authors that are not preaching the truth? And I've had people say, oh yeah, Pastor, but I can discern what is right and what is wrong. And, and they got good points in other areas. Listen to me. Can you afford to listen to stuff that is error? No. no. Let me tell you, you're feeding your mind with stuff you shouldn't see because the Bible says to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it's because there is no what? No light in them. That's right. This wonderful constitution that grants us freedom at some point in time will be broke. Notice what, I'm going to read you some quotes. William Rehnquist, the wall of separation between church and state is a metaphor based on what? Bad history. Bad history. So would you say he's for or against church and state togetherness? He's for, he's for it, absolutely. This is from the St. Louis Dispatch. As the second century of the Bill of Rights draws to a close, the Supreme Court is redefining what religious liberty will mean in the third century. Broadly, the Court's new approach helps conventional religions while hurting unconventional ones. Justice William O. Douglas, it seems to be plain that the, by these laws the state compel one under the sanction of law... To refrain from work or recreation on what? Sunday, Sunday because of the what? Majority. Majority's view on that day. Let me tell you, if you follow the majority, what's going to happen? Destruction. Destruction. You're going to end up in the wrong place. That's right. Because name a time period in the Bible that the, that, that the truth was in majority. Even at the time of Christ. The state laws make Sunday a symbol of respect and adherence. State and church come together. Christianity Today, all businesses including gasoline stations and restaurants should close every what? Sunday. Sunday. We were just traveling this last March to, to our daughter's place in Washington. As we went through North Dakota, we saw in a paper there, a newspaper, and it was talking about they had tried to repeal a law that was already in place that said that businesses had to be closed on Sunday unless they were necessary, like hospitals, ambulances, uh, police. No, not football. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying, when you look at it, it was amazing, wasn't it? In fact, Nancy bought two papers. And we brought them home because it's interesting because they already are practicing the issue of the Sunday law that says you can't operate on Sunday morning. Yeah, it was like noon or one o'clock. That's right. I think, yeah, yeah. Now notice, 
by force of legislative fiat to the daily elected officials of the people. What's it, what are they calling for? A legislation of law that dictates that you can't honor God and you must honor the papacy or Sunday as a holy day. Pat Robertson, the New World Order. The next obligation that a citizen of God's order or world order owes is to himself. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy is a command for the personal benefit of each citizen. Now we probably can all agree with that, can't we? But notice he goes on. Higher civilizations rise when people can rest and draw inspiration from God. Laws in America that mandated a day of rest, called Sunday laws, have been nullified as a violation of the separation of church and state as an outright insult to God and His plan. What is he saying? There should never be a separation of church and state. You ought to legislate religion. Only those policies that can, sh can be shown to have a clearly secular purpose are recognized. Anybody recognize this picture? Pope John Paul II. And can you recognize who's here? Bush. Former President Bush and his wife, former <coughs> President Bush, former President Clinton. Yeah, you begin to see the whole cabinet of the, of the United States of America bowing the knee. Catch this. As they go through in honor to Pope John Paul II. Could this happen in the United States? Yes. Well, let's see. Miami Herald, June 17. Southern Baptists acknowledging that they and the Roman Catholics have been in the same what? Foxhole for years and formally endorsing Baptist-Catholic dialogue. Lansing St. Journal, March 21, 1998. For the Pentecostals, as numerous in Nigeria as Catholics, Paul, John Paul is the symbolic father of all Bible devotees. Mm. Promise Keepers is a non-denominational religious movement. It's a coming together of different churches. Now, and, I, and I'll tell you what, when that was all popular, the Promise Keepers, do you realize they too had a set of beliefs? And one of them, I think it's number six of seven, says, I agree to set aside my denominational differences for the sake of unity. I couldn't do that. Amen? John Robbins, if there be any Roman Catholic readers who are inclined to favor freedom and free enterprise, may they understand that their church does not. And therefore, they must choose to either be good Catholics or good what? Christians. Christians. You see, they make no bones about what they believe. Amen? Much of the interference by federal, state, and local governments is in the affairs of the U.S. Of US people is due to what? Roman Catholic influence in American politics. You know, we're worried about Russia right now and their influence in politics. I'll tell you what, Russia's not the one they better worry about. Right. Amen? Notice, while we were sleeping, the Vatican has been pursuing ecumenicism on a broad front. On the following dates, the Vatican began formal talks with various Christian bodies. In 65, 1965, the Ecumenical Council of Churches. 66, the Anglican Church. 67, the Methodists and Lutherans. In, in 70, World 
uh, Reformed Alliance in 77, Disciples of Christ, 80, the Orthodox Church, 82, the Pentecostal Movement, 84, World Baptist Alignment, 86, the Vatican summons 130 leaders from 12 major religions to meet at Italy and pray for peace. Among them were snake worshipers, fire worshipers, spiritists, witch doctors, and more. Wow. Mm. I caught, yeah, they didn't have far to go. <laughs> You're true. Notice this in the Washington Post, November 1, 1999. Today, the leaders of the modern Lutheran and Roman Catholic churches signed a document that officially settles a central argument about the nature of faith that Luther provoked. The agreement declares, in effect, that it was all a what? Misunderstanding. I'll tell you what. Yeah, the protest is over. Yeah, it's, we're going to get to that next. <laughs> because in, in June 23, 2014, Kenneth Copeland and James and Betty Robinson, along with others, went to visit with the Pope. And I'll tell you what, it's amazing. You have main leaders like Joel Olstein and others, that famous preachers that went and visited with the Pope. And it's, it, you began to see their excitement in fact, one stated together in a big, a big program that Kenneth Copeland put on to a bunch of pastors. And the message from the Pope was, let, let us come together. And he says, I, the Lord is blessing as we all come together. Now listen, in a, in a, after his meeting with Pope Francis at the Vatican, Copeland returned to report his success on the trip on his website. And here's what he said, I am so blessed. What Jesus asked the Father for in John 17, 21, that we may all be one in Him, is finally coming to what? Pass. To pass. Pope Francis is a man filled with the love of Jesus. Is that what we've read? All eight of us in our meeting together with Him were moved by the strong presence of who? The Holy Spirit in our love for one another was strengthened beyond measure. Like I said, I am so blessed. What a time to be a believer. Now I'm, I'm telling you, he is, he is collaborating with the Vatican. Yes. Amen? Yes. Notice this. This is the 500th year anniversary of the Reformation. Senior Roman Catholic and Lutheran officials announced on Monday they would mark the 500th anniversary of the Reformation in 2017 as a what? Shared event rather than highlight the clash that split Western Christianity. The Vatican and the Lutheran World Federation re re presented a report in Geneva admitting both were guilty of harming Christian unity in the past and describing a growing consensus between the two churches in recent decades. The 500th anniversary of Martin Luther's 95 Theses the doctrinal challenge that launched the Protestant Reformation will be the first sanitary celebration in the age of ecumenicism, in globalization, and in secularization of Western societies. The awareness is drawing on Lutherans and Catholics that the struggle of the 16th century is over. over. The report said the reasons for mutually condemning each other's faith have fallen by the wayside. Let me tell you why we're sleeping. There's a growing consensus of reaching the hands across to Rome. And it's led by none other than the country we love so much. 
and the religious leaders of this country. And let me tell you, as they put more and more pressure on what is happening in the government, you will find that they will join hands. And as they join hands, they will begin to legislate laws. And those laws will be pointed against God, not for Him. As they said, Catholic records, Sunday is our mark of authority. The church is above the Bible, and this transference of Sabbath observance is proof of that fact. Of course, from faith of our fathers, of course the Catholic Church claims that the change from Sabbath to Sunday was her act. And this act is a mark of her ecclesiastical power and authority in religious matters. The central issue regarding the mark of the beast is what? Worship. Is worship. That's absolutely right. God's mark on the seventh-day Sabbath, Roman Church's mark on Sunday. That's right. Listen to me. Do we live in the time of the mark of the beast? Yes. No. But we're next to it. Because have we enforced religious worship yet? No. no. Then we're not in the issue of the mark of the beast because at that time, when the mark of the beast is issued, you're going to have a choice. Am I going to be faithful to God or am I going to be faithful to man? That time is upon us. Now, they haven't legislated religion. Do I know when it's going to happen? I don't. But I can tell you what, it's already in place. All they have to do is pull the key. Yes. Oh, yeah. You, you began to look at it. Sunday laws have been around for a long time. So it's all there. All they've got to do is pull the trigger. But listen, brothers and sisters, when that time comes, you're no longer going to have the freedom to worship the way you want to. You're not going to have the opportunity to share your faith as you're, as you're used to. Yes. Uh-huh. Chain gangs? Yeah. There's, there's no doubt. Listen to me. We look at those kind of things and we think they're a time in the past or a fallacy. I want you to know the Bible is true. Amen. And though you may not be there yet, I believe we're knocking on the door. And I believe that Jesus is coming soon and we know before He comes, this whole issue of the mark of the beast and forced worship, some people want to say, oh, that's never going to happen in the United States. Well, I'll tell you what, I believe the Bible is the inspired Word of God. I believe God knows. I believe God's true. And I believe God's trying to warn us to get ready now. Because if you're not ready to stand in that day, do you think you're going to just automatically stand? No. Now you may, but it's not very likely. Amen? So when do you need to prepare? Now. now. You need to be ready now. Today is the day of salvation. You need to be prepared to decide where do I want to spend eternity? Well, I can only tell you for me in my house, I want to serve Jesus. And I want to be faithful. And I want to hear when Jesus comes, I want to look into His face, and I want to hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's why when I pastor a church, I love them. I want to see them all in heaven. I don't want one to be missing. But let me tell you something, at the end of the day, what's most important to me is that Jesus knows I've done my best for Him. Because if I want to please anybody, it's Jesus. I tell you what, we've got too much people pleasing going on in the church today. And it's allowed too much compromise to go on. I'll tell you what, Spirit of Prophecy brings out the point that we've got to come back to primitive godliness. Amen? Amen. Study that out. See what that means. I'm telling you what, that God is looking for a church that is bright and clean and pure and fully surrendered to Him. Amen?
So it's important that we realize you can't put... In fact, take your Bibles and go with me to Matthew chapter 10 for just a moment. i got one minute. Matthew chapter 10. And notice with me in verse 21. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 21. The Bible says, Jesus is talking, and the brother shall deliver up the brother to death, and the father the child, and the children shall raise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death, and ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be what? Saved. Do you see what Jesus is saying? He's brought to you the closest human connection that you have. Parental-child relationship. And He's saying they're going to turn on you. But you've got to endure it and be faithful to Me. Which means you have to do, choose Jesus even over mom and dad. You've got to choose Jesus even over your children. You've got to choose to be faithful regardless of what the circumstances are. Because in the end, we want Jesus to be happy. Why? Because we have to? No. Because we want to go to heaven? Listen, that's exactly right. Because listen, if there was no heaven to win and no hell to shun, my life has been better for serving Jesus anyways. Amen? Amen. So all that other stuff, the streets of gold and the heavenly mansions and all that, that's just, that, those are just perks. That's not why I want to go to heaven. I want to be with Jesus. Amen? And I just tell you that the Bible predicts there's going to be a time of trouble such as never was that we're going to go through. Yeah. And brothers and sisters, spend your power time every day. Pray and study and pray that God will help you to understand His Word and will keep you yes. faithful. Yes. And then choose. He won't do it for you. Choose to be faithful every day. Amen. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Our dear kind Heavenly Father, I just pray that today as we've studied Your Word, that we have a, a greater glimpse into what Your Bible says about this wonderful country that we love. And that, Lord, You will help us to realize that today is the day we need to make a decision to be faithful to You in all matters of our life. And that, Lord, we will be what You want us to be. And so, Lord, bless us now, because when You come, we want to hear those words, well done, and thou good and faithful servant. So bless us now today, and continue to bless us through camp meeting. In Jesus' precious name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.